our God is so glorious. Right? Our God is so glorious. He is the God of tomatoes. Come on, tomatoes. He's so glorious, he's even the God of tomatoes. Now, you might not think that's a big deal. I'm a big fan of tomatoes. Tomato fans? All right, let's go. I'm a big fan of tomatoes. I've always loved tomatoes. I always felt like tomatoes on sale, it was a 100% cheat, right? It's just like putting something awesome on something not super awesome. So I'm a big fan of tomatoes. When I was a kid, my grandpa introduced me to this. Have you tried this out? Big, thick slab of tomatoes, a little bit of salt, a little cottage cheese, and a lot of pepper. It's like a meal replacement if you have like two tomatoes worth of that, and a pound of cottage cheese. Uh, I love tomatoes. Tomatoes are a great gift to us, aren't they? You guys who are starting gardens, you got tomatoes coming and, and picking those warm off the vine and eating them fresh. I mean, there's just almost nothing like it. They, they certainly occupy a very singular place in the gardener's heart. But now think about what tomatoes are. Right? They're, they're this wonderful gift. But think about this. Every tomato plant bears, and, and it varies widely between different kinds of tomatoes, but let me just kind of hit the one in the middle, about 200 tomatoes. I got that number from the Roma variety specifically. 200 tomatoes. It's called 200 tomatoes. Right? And, and each tomato, it, when you cut it open, what does it have in it? Seeds. It has about 200 seeds. So if you take one tomato plant home from the hardware store and put it in the ground right now, this fall, if you don't eat any of them, you're going to have how many? 40,000 seeds. 40,000 seeds. Now you take those seeds, and let's just say, you know, for the, just for the, the sake of argument, that they all are good seeds. And you have, you have the ability to put them all in the ground in an appropriate way next spring. Do you know how many tomato seeds you're going to have next fall? One and a half billion. In 2023, we could be planting one and a half billion tomatoes on this planet. That's what I'm dedicating my fortune to. That's what this world needs. We're going to cover the planet with tomato seeds, right? I mean, by the end of 2023, by the beginning of 2024, you would have bajillions of tomatoes. Think about that for a second. Who made tomatoes? God made tomatoes. Tomatoes are an amazing gift. But what's in tomatoes? More gifts. More, so many gifts, it's ridiculous. In a year and a half, you could have a one and a half billion tomato plants planted? It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Tomatoes are a wonderful gift, but they're also this kind of invitation. See, God's gifts contain gifts. This is one of the big points of our time together this morning. To understand that God's gifts contains gifts. That the gift that we've already been given contains within it the seeds of God's next gift that he wants to give us. So tomato is an example of this. But think about other gifts that you have. Oh, I'm thankful for this. This was a gift. Maybe this pain was a gift. Maybe this good thing was a gift. All of those gifts contain with them the seeds of more gifts. The next gifts that God wants to give you. 
And here's how that works. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point, Paul says, is this. The point. It's not a great way to translate that. Because he goes on to give this, uh, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's more of a principle. What he's saying is, the principle behind what I'm appealing to you about is this, the principle here. Uh, This is the principle for why giving should be done freely. Look at me in verse 5, at the end of verse 5. Paul makes this appeal. He says, so that the gift may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. And now look at verse 7. Each one must gift as he's, give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So Paul wants to give the principle, the, the principle undergirding why giving should be done freely and without coercion. Now just to kind of review the context here, chapter 8 and into the beginning of chapter 9, you may remember that it really sometimes feels like Paul is coercing them. He is kind of putting the screws to the Achaia, the Corinthian church, saying the people in Macedonia gave a lot, and now these guys are going to come visit you, so please don't embarrass me and yourselves by not having the gift that you promised ready. So, what is Paul doing there? He's not compelling them to give. He's trying to reveal and surface this deep connection between our faith and what we do with our money, our faith and our finances. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, what's the thing with our finances? It's not that we should give to be seen by people. He's just saying people see. People see what you do with your money. There's a deep connection here, and, and people can't see your faith that you have in your heart, but they can see what you do with your finances. And so he wants to encourage them here with the principle for why they should give freely and generously. And the principle is the uh, sowing and reaping principle. So we're going to talk about the sowing and reaping principle. This is the principle that says that the more seeds you sow in the spring, the more crops you're going to have in the fall. The more tomatoes, right? If you have two tomatoes, that's 80,000 seeds. Right? The more you plant, the more you reap. And so we should give gladly and generously to this collection that Paul is making this appeal for, because the more you sow, the more you're going to reap. Now, we need to unpack all of this, because that's an agricultural metaphor. What does it mean? We've got to be careful with unpacking this, because this has been unpacked in a lot of unsavory and unholy ways in America in the last hundred years. So let's talk a little bit about the sowing and reaping. So let's take it out of metaphor. This is what Paul begins to do right away in chapter Uh, 9, verse 7, and 8. So what is sowing and reaping out of metaphor? What are you actually talking about, Paul? He says here at the end of verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. So God loves, he loves a cheerful giver because this is his kind of thing. He loves cheerfully giving for the sake of Jesus. I forgot to mark all my, there we go. I forgot to mark them, so I'm going to be fishing around up here for a little bit, so just be patient with me. Um, God loves a cheerful giver because this is his kind of thing, right? 
I love when people give my kids gifts. Right? I love that. Because that I love those kids and I want and I want them to be made more glorious. God loves when people give for the sake of Jesus. That's that's his kid. He wants people to see Jesus and appreciate him. And because this is what God loves, therefore, we should give with a good attitude because God will see to it that you have more than enough of what you need to keep doing good. So because God loves this kind of thing, we should give with a good attitude, and God will see to it that you have more than what you need to keep doing good. Look at verse 8. This is what he's saying. God loves a cheerful giver, and so God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all, notice all of the alls in this verse, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good works, in every good work. God is going to make sure that you have more than enough to keep doing good for the glory of Jesus. You sow this, you give this, he loves that, and so he is going to make sure that you have more opportunities to do good for Jesus' glory. So in this specific context, he says, sow the seed of money and you will reap the harvest of, end of verse 8, abounding in every good work. Reap the harvest of more opportunities to more effectively do good for God's glory and do good for other people. Now, is that typically what Americans are told to sow in order to reap? We're going to dig into more of this next Sunday. But what Paul is very clearly saying here is you sow, Corinthian church, you sow money in this collection, and what you're going to get is more opportunities to do good. Is that what you want? Do you want more opportunities to do good? Would you come talk to me if you, have, if you want more opportunities to do good? So the whole sowing and reaping thing is premised on the idea that you want opportunities to see people glorify Jesus. And if that's what you want, God is going to lavish you with what you need to be able to access those things. Here's this illustration. I think it's an illustration in verse 9. Paul quotes Psalm 112. He says, As it is written... He, now the he here is a righteous person. If you go back into Psalm 112, it's the righteous man. He has distributed freely. So he's an example of what Paul is describing here, sowing bountifully. He has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. Now notice this, his righteousness endures forever. What does that mean? So his righteousness endures forever. Now we immediately think of like righteous standing before God, justification. That's immediately what our brain goes to. But that's not what his righteousness is. His righteousness is the act that he just did to give generously to the poor. Now how is that act going to endure forever? Going to keep going forever. How is it going to keep going? That's what he's saying. He's saying he gives to the poor, and that gift, that giving, is going to keep working. And do you know why? Because God's in it. That's Paul's point here. God is in our generosity. God joins generosity. 
That's why this guy's righteous act keeps going. God stays with it and makes sure that it keeps going to bless people and to bring praise to him thanks to Jesus. God joins generosity because God loves cheerful givers and cheerful giving. This echoes God's own heart. Remember tomatoes? God loves giving. He loves multifaceted gifts. He loves inexpressible gifts. How did tomatoes end up everywhere on the planet? Because they're amazing. Right? This is what God has done with the gospel as well. He has spread it like tomatoes everywhere. God joins the generosity of his people because God loves this. Now, Paul wants to dig into this a little bit and explain why is this true? Why is sowing and reaping a true thing? Why is this principle that you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully, why is it true? It's true because of the essential nature of the God who is sovereign. This is the essential nature of the God who is sovereign. He's a generous God. He also happens to be sovereign. So here's verse 10. One of my favorite verses. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He, right, we love this about God. He's everywhere. He's in everything, right? He's there at the seed and he's there at the sandwich. He's given the sower what the sower needs for planting, but also, right, harvesting, also milling, also baking, and then enjoying in a sandwich. Right? God is in all of it. He is sovereign over this entire thing. All right, so now Paul's, Paul's taking us back into agriculture again. And we don't even notice, right? We're just like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, bread, food, good. I like it. He's not talking about bread and food. He's talking about some other thing. He's talking about a non-metaphorical application of this. So let's take this again out of the agricultural metaphor and back into what is Paul actually talking about, the gift that the Corinthians are giving to the saints in Jerusalem. All right, so this is, now go down with me to verses 13 and 14. Now this is a really, uh, Paul's really complicated here. Notice all of the uh, connecting words here and how they kind of, uh, go forward and backward in time. So we're going to try to put this together in just a minute. But he says, by the Jerusalem church's approval or gratitude for this gift, they will, so they're thankful, and so they're glorified God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So all sorts of because ofs and, and based on. So here's how I think this is, this is structured. This is how we go from the gospel seed to the praise loaf. This is how Paul des describes this. And God is in it all. He is the God who gives seed to the sowers and bread for food. So you start with the confession of the gospel in verse 13. The Corinthians confess the gospel. And then verse 14, the surpassing grace of God is upon them. So I think this is a reference to the work of the Spirit in their lives. They, they confess the gospel. The Spirit gives them grace in a fresh way. And then it says that they submit to the gospel. The submission that comes from your confession of the gospel 
while that's happening, verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you, and then you, generosity, verse 13, generosity of your contribution for them, and then they get it, and they're thankful, and they glorify God, back to the beginning of verse 13. So it's all kind of out of order in Paul's exuberance, but this is the seed to loaf of the spiritual world. We receive the gospel, we hear about Jesus who, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we by his poverty might be made rich. And that transforms our life. And the Spirit comes into our life and moves us. And we are, are we willing to go along with it? That's a question. We submit to it while people are praying for us. We submit to the gospel. We give generously. People receive that gift. They're really thankful. And then they give thanks to God and they give him praise. So that is the gospel food chain that Paul describes here that God works through. And so, therefore, verse 11, here's another very important verse. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched to be generous, and that will produce thanksgiving. God will see to it that the givers have what they need to extend grace and increase thanksgiving. And that's why sowing and reaping works. God wants this to happen. God wants gratitude for Jesus to spread. He wants more and more people to know more and more better how glorious he is by meeting Jesus Christ, his son. That's God's heart. And that's why sowing and reaping works. Now notice this, though. This is an important part of what Paul is describing here. How does God sow? How does he water the crops? How does he weed it? How does he harvest it? How does he mill it? How does he bake it? How does he do that? He uses us. He uses us. So we know that all things are from God, and God is in all things, and he's working through all things, and all things are for him. But much of what he does, he, he runs through us. And this is his design, which is another way to say, here's another gift that God wants to give us. He wants us to be included in what he himself delights in. God joins generosity, and generosity joins God. This is what he wants to do. And when we are generous, we join him in doing it. And when we're generous, God joins us so that what we're doing accomplishes his purpose. All right, so here's the, here's the main principle in kind of different words. The more we sow, the more of that we get to see. The more people thanking God, the more people praising Jesus we get to see. The more we sow, the more we see. And this works because, first of all, we get to see because God works through our works. Now here, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. We actually get to see it. That's what I'm saying. We actually get to see it because God joins us in it. God gives in our gifts. When Paul, when Paul says he gives seed to the sower and bread for food, that means God is in the whole thing. So there is no part of what we do to extend grace and to see people praise Jesus, no part of that is wasted. I mean, how many times do you feel like, well, that was useless, right? You show up to serve in some way or you give something, you just think, well, 
We're going to talk more about this in just a minute with this specific collection in view. But how many times do you feel like, well, that was a waste? It, none of it's a waste. Not a single thing that we give to God for this purpose is wasted because God works through us. I'm not saying He just works through us. I'm saying He works. That means it works. So you're in my frustrating service. You're in my sometimes foolish feeling service. And what did that accomplish? I just made a knucklehead of myself. All of those things work because God's in it. What? Five, three loaves and five small fish? It works because God's in it. So we get to see it when we join God. And so, to that end, I think there's other things there. God is in the whole thing. God works through us. It all works. See that? Good. Next one. The second reason why we get to see it, the more we sow, the more we see, is because, now this is very uh, specific to us, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You know what that means, right? We pay attention to our investments. So we believe that God is always at work. All things are being worked by the sovereign God together for good. God is at work in all things, but we don't see that work because uh, our expression, we're invested in other things. See how our language kind of exposes what's happening here? I'm invested in other things. That means I look at other things. I watch other things. I'm interested in, in other things, and I'm not interested in what God is working on. Do you feel like God is not at work in your life? Do you feel like God is silent? Do you feel like, I haven't seen God show up? I wonder if it's because you're not looking at it. Because what do you see and what do you notice? What you look at. When we give, we notice God's work. So the more we see, the more we sow, the more we see God's gifts contain gifts. There's the gift of what we have, the tomato. But there's also the gift of joining him when we give. And the gift of seeing other people praise Jesus as a consequence for our gifts. I mean, what Paul's trying to do here, and what I want us to hear, is that like with tomatoes, there's a lot more that's possible than just eating them with cottage cheese, salt, and pepper. There's a lot more that's possible one and a half billion tomato plants by next fall. So much more is possible. And I want you to see that, and God wants us to see that as well. So here's the application that Paul gives to the Corinthians, and I think this is directly applicable to us as well. A good lesson for us. Give what you can cheerfully give so that more people thank God for Jesus thanks to you. Give what you can cheerfully give so that more people thank God for Jesus thanks to you. Wouldn't that be nice? I just hope that somebody gets to know God because of me. They will. That's what this passage is saying. They're gonna. It is not going to be wasted. It is going to work. So jump in. So bountifully so that you can see that bountiful reaping. Now, I want to talk for a little bit about sowing and reaping. Now, what is sowing in this specific context? Sowing here specifically is, now listen to this, because this is probably the most challenging 
and uh, difficult specific application that you could make of the sowing and reaping principle. And it's the exact one in the text. Sow means give money to the church leaders to do what they think they, God has called them to do. That's sowing here. Give money to the church leaders so that they can do what God has called them to do. Now, that is the hardest possible application. Like, if I took this, I said, so, uh, you know, you've got some gifts and you've got some talents. Share those with the church. Right? You'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, I, I can do this, I can do that. Maybe I'll see if there's a, I can, you know, get on a rotation for something. That's, that is an application of this. If you're artistic, if you're business savvy, if you're energetic, if you've, you know, you've got the ability to, there's many different ways to serve and many different ways to sow your talents and get involved for the sake of Jesus. The one that nobody, that we don't really want to talk about is giving money, even that, well, giving money, yeah, I'll give money to Jesus, giving, no, 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 not just Jesus, <laughs> Jesus would be fine. Give money specifically to the church leaders, what are they going to do? Uh, kind of the, the, just this, the thing that they want to do. Now let's talk about that, right? Because this is not just the most specific and painful application and also the one in the text, but it's also going to reveal a really important truth. So if you're not enough, come back to me here now. Swing some elbows, people, if you need to. Do you think that when Paul appealed to the Corinthian church for this collection, do you think that there were people there who were like, the saints in Jerusalem? What about the people in Africa? What about the people? What about the poor and the homeless here in Corinth? Don't we have a responsibility to them too? I guarantee you there were people who were saying that. And yes, we should give to the people in Africa and we should take care of the saints here in Corinth or the, the, the poor in Corinth. But this is the thing that we're going to do next together. That's Paul's whole argument here. This is the thing we're going to do together next. There's always reasons to not give. Isn't it interesting? So you guys all got your stimulus check, right? Was there immediate unanimity in your household as to the dispersal of those funds, right? You held that check, and you're like, we're going to, and you said something completely different at the same time, right? Wait, what? <laughs> right? Like, it's so interesting how there's always different ideas on where the money should go. And this, is, this is so important to us, isn't it? I want to give, but where's it going to go? Now, we baptize this, right? We dunk it in the water. We call it biblical stewardship. But I think there's a, also a little bit of a measure of my money means my voice, right? My money is my little lever, my little bit of control. So I'll give to God how I see fit. I'm not going to give to this church unless they do what I want. And one of the most extraordinary things Paul says about the Macedonian church in chapter 8, verse 4, he says, they gave uh, you know, generously beyond their means. And he says then in verse 5, he says, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So 
So I want to talk about this collection. It's in the Bible, right? The Apostle Paul arranged it. The uh, KI Church gave to it. The Macedonian Church gave to it. What happened to the money? Hmm. Where'd the money go? Into 1 Corinthians, Paul's making the appeal, saying, hey, get the collection ready. 2 Corinthians, he's saying, all right, guys, uh, the, the Macedonian church gave, and, uh, and now I'm going to come and collect the money from the Corinthian church that you promised, your pledged gifts, right? And then he says in, Rome, in Romans, at the end of Romans, which he wrote after 2 Corinthians worked, and he stayed there in Corinth for a little season, wrote Romans. He writes at the end of that, he says, pray, Roman church, pray for us, because we're going to be taking this gift to Jerusalem, and we want it to be accepted by the Jerusalem church. What happens next? If you want to turn to Acts 21, I think, we're not sure, we don't really know, we don't really know where the money goes. However, in Acts 21, verse 17, this is the story of the next time Paul visits Jerusalem. Acts 21, 17. When we had come to Jerusalem... Now, as I read this, I want you to pay attention to, and note uh, any dispersal of funds. The brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Where'd the money go? We don't know for sure. But it sounds to me like some of that money ended up in the temple. In the temple to take care of the people that killed Jesus and stoned Stephen. Did some of it go to the Jerusalem church and the, and the poor among the saints in Jerusalem? I hope so. But how much of it? I mean, was this really the most effective way for that money to be used? Here's the big lesson from this. And the big freeing gift that this frustrating story gives us. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? If I made this clear, Paul, in all of his travels, he's recruiting the Gentile church to take a collection to help with the famine relief for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And, and it seems like a chunk of that money just went straight into the temple, the people who are persecuting the Jerusalem church. And hopefully, hopefully most of it went to the, the saints, but we don't know, and not a word of it is breathed beyond this. We give imperfect gifts. We're a lot more like Ananias and Sapphira than we are like Barnabas. We give some, we don't give all. We give it with anxiety, we don't give it with freedom. We give imperfect gifts, and our imperfect gifts go to support and fund and fuel imperfect plans. And now let me tell you what's extraordinary about this. Our imperfect gifts and our imperfect plans carry out God's perfect plan to deliver His perfect gift. Is God's plan perfect? 
It's perfect. Is God's gift perfect? It's perfect. How does God, according to his plan, give that perfect gift? Through our imperfect gifts and our imperfect plans. We say, we want to be good stewards. Is that good stewardship? God, God, is that good stewardship? To which God says, yes, because I love cheerful givers. And I'm going to make all grace abound so that you can have all contentment in all things at all times so that you can abound in good works. And I'm the God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food and I will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness so that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way and that will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It works because God is in it. God is in it, and so it works. So does, should we give foolishly? Oh, should we give foolishly? I mean, don't give foolishly, but, but give cheerfully and generously in faith, knowing that God is at work. And unfortunately, there is a strong correlation between faith, kind of looking sometimes like foolishness, and most of the time feeling like foolishness, right? Give cheerfully and generously in faith, knowing that God is at work. All right, so we sow. All giving is an act of faith. And then we reap. And here in this passage, reaping means seeing more opportunities for good works. Right? You start paying attention. You start noticing. God's saying, hey, here's more opportunities for good works. We get to see... Our good works begin to work and we get to see more people give thanks to God. We get to see, we get to reap, in a word, revival. You want revival? What does revival mean? You want revival? Right? Revival means that, that the lost in our neighborhoods, the lost in our villages and towns are coming to meet Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful for the 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 people who need Jesus, right? You think you're scared and depressed. You think you're hopeless and struggling. You think you're confused and frustrated. Now remove the sovereignty of God and the love of Christ and the presence of the Spirit from your life. Revival is when those people meet Jesus and come to know the heart of the Father and come to see who Jesus is. Revival is when weak and immature Christians begin to take their faith seriously and are transformed by the Spirit into the image of Jesus. Revival is when businesses are made strong. When, when, I mean, there's this huge ripple of consequences when the Spirit of God shows up in a powerful way. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a formula for revival? Just do this and this will come. And I want to tell you this morning, there's a formula for revival. There is a formula for revival. I'm not talking about the old American ways of manipulating emotions in order to get altar call subscriptions and so forth. I'm talking about a formula for genuine, real revival. I might be disagreeing with myself if you talk to me about this later, but let me just give you a formula for revival. But I'm going to do it by way of analogy. Do you know how to make your spouse or your kids or your friends feel loved? Do you know how to make them feel blessed? and loved, and safe? You do. Right? We know. I know how to 
make my wife and my kids feel blessed and loved and safe. I know how to give them joy. I just don't know. Here's the problem. I just don't know how to do that cheaply. Right? I don't know how to do that and still be my lazy self. How do I do the stuff that I want to do and also do those other things? I don't know how to do that. We know how revival comes. It's not like this is buried away in some secret, untranslated text. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for those people. Stay faithfully in their lives, praying for them, loving them, being gentle and generous, and not avoiding to bring the name of Jesus into those conversations, and following the leading of the Spirit into the ripe fruit that he has already prepared for us to pick. Walking with the Spirit, being courageous in the mention of the name of Jesus and sharing the gospel, in living lives of authentic faith, doing devotions and praying and having a quiet time. and a real we, we know how revival comes. I'm not going to explain all that here. We know how revival comes. We know how this works. We just don't know how to bring revival, how to see the Lord work on the cheap. We don't know how to see revival come and still be lazy. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, he says, I would gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I don't know how to bring revival without spending and being spent. Do you feel spent sometimes? You feel like, why am I spending this money? Because the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. As we close, look with me at verse 15 of chapter 9. The last verse here. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. His inexpressible gift. A a gift uh, whose nature is difficult to describe. What is this gift? I mean, it's the gift of Jesus. He who was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. It's the gift of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the way that God draws us into these gifts and into even more gifts and then into still more gifts. Because all of God's gifts contain gifts. So we and our imperfect gifts and our imperfect plans, we still get to be a part, by God's grace, of his perfect plan. And I think that that is God's next gift for all of us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the encouragement to join you in this great work. We thank you that you are a God who gives, who created things like tomatoes to help us realize that all of your gifts contain more gifts. And if we would receive the one, and if we would have more, we just need to follow you. And it doesn't always feel comfortable and it doesn't always make exact sense. And there's a lot of frustration involved at times. And yet we know that you are working We know that you will work, 
And we know that your perfect plan will work. So we thank you for this good news and we ask that you would watch over this word now in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.